0: Hey everyone, this is James Mackey and welcome to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. Join us as we cover high-level thought leadership and step-by-step guides on how to make people a competitive advantage for your organization. I'm incredibly proud to be the CEO of Secure Vision, the sponsor of this show and the number one contract recruiting, embedded recruiting, and RPO firm. A thank you to our partners, Greenhouse, the hiring operating system for people-first companies, and Jem, the all-in-one hiring solution recruiters love. Let's go! Welcome to episode six of Talent Acquisition Trends and Strategy, and today we are joined by Mukta Arya. Mukta, uh, welcome to, to our podcast.
1: Thank you, James. I'm happy to be here.
0: And uh, before we jump into it, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, your background, and, and what you're currently working on?
1: Yeah, sure. So currently, I am the CHRO for Societe General. It's a corporate and investment bank in Asia Pacific. I'm based out of Hong Kong um my role ha- has is basically for the 12 countries that we are present in asia pacific across all the hr matters uh, from uh, recruitment to dni to well being to benefits compensation etc so i have a team of people working with me for the region
0: very cool very cool and i know so you just mentioned it as well and something that we had talked on before uh, jumping on the podcast is that you are very passionate about de and i efforts <laughs> And I, I was hoping you could share with us how organizations, uh, from your perspective, should be approaching DEI, uh, mm-hmm. and and just philosophically from a strategic level, what they should be doing, and then maybe we could jump into some tactical steps on 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 what uh, leaders can do to implement better uh, mm-hmm. DEI strategies.
1: Um, for me, first of all, DEI for an organization should be something which is needed, and it's not something which is tick the box. I, I think that's very important. And organizations should realize that why it is important for them. And then what part of DEI is something that they should focus on because every organization is different. And, for example, uh, for us, we decided in 2015 at the senior level in APAC, uh, that means all the management committee members, we decided that for us in APAC, it's gender, it's culture, which is basically the uh, nationality of uh, people that we have in the organization, Differently Abled as well as LGBT plus is something that we need to focus on. So then we decided to have, uh, you know, a diversity council with these four networks. We had employees who were uh, who, who actually volunteered to become the chairpersons. And then we worked with the employee resource networks. And it, it grew slowly. Uh, for me, I think that this is the first important step is like you have to have the buy-in from the senior management. You have to identify what are the areas that you need to work on. And then involve employees. Um, it is not easy in the beginning. You know, it does take time. Uh, it does take a lot of uh, patience, I would say, to really grow the networks and, and really make a difference. And it starts in stages, you know, so you have the awareness stage and then you actually embed um, these kind of uh, the, the DNI topics into your policies. And then it then goes forward and becomes a way of life so we took uh, few years to come to this stage uh, but now i can say that after 7 years um, i feel we are uh, we are pretty bit mature but we still have a lot to do and we keep on assessing and i think every organization should assess whether for example the areas that they are looking at are they enough or with changing times they are changing so for example we assess every year and see whether we should have multi generational networks or something else which we should add on to so yeah, these are some of the steps I think which can help um, start the journey in DNI and then continue it because it has to be continuous, you know. Otherwise, sure. you will lose the momentum. Yeah.
0: Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. It's it's constant iteration. It's yeah. it's it's never it's never done. It's always a work in progress. There's always more to do, uh, and there's always better experiences that we can create, right? Um. I, so just I think we could just break that. You broke it into some really helpful sections, mm-hmm. and the first thing you mentioned was how important it is to get executive buy-in. Um, so, so for people, leaders within organizations,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how do they go about uh, getting executive buy-in from other leaders within the organization to uh, really emphasize DNI and make that part of like the core value set of the organization? How do you how do you go about doing that?
1: The business case for DE&I, I don't think it's it's an issue nowadays. You know, with with any layer of management, and, and of course, the executive management uh, is. Um, uh, they're smart people. Huh? So I really don't think anybody questions uh, why we need DEI. What I think is important and, and to get the buy-in is to say, instead of just doing activities, you know, like awareness sessions or whatever, what are the next steps? Are we really, for example, doing something which will make a difference to the organization, to the employees that are there? Do employee, uh, you know, employees should feel inclusive. And, and what we are doing, will it make that difference? So that's what the people leader have to do is to really have that blueprint, you know, and the game plan, which should say that, okay, this is what we are going to be doing. And this is the impact it will make on the organization as a whole. It doesn't have to be tangible. Sometimes, you know, in the beginning, of course, for example, gender and culture, you can see the numbers changing. Uh, However, in certain other fields, uh, you know, in LGBT plus, et cetera, sometimes it's not easy to measure it. But what we want is the environment to be more inclusive. And how can we make it more inclusive? Can we measure it through engagement surveys, et cetera? I think the blueprint is quite important. And, and once that is there, uh, the buy-in is not difficult. I can tell you it's it's actually never difficult at the top management level. The difficulty is really implementing some concrete steps, which are maybe policy-related or something which will really make a difference to the life of the employees. Yeah,
0: Right. And and from a from the perspective of in the early stages forming the the blueprint, mm-hmm. um, I'm curious to get your thoughts at, at how how tight of a collaboration is that with the employee group. I would, from from my perspective and from my from what I'm doing at, at Secure Vision and, and some of the other conversations mm-hmm. I've had, um, a lot of leaders I've discussed this with really hone in on the fact that you know just just doing. Surveys, right? It's not, it's not necessarily enough. You have to go out and talk to employees and and mm-hmm. really dive into this and and figure out, you know, ask their for their feedback and figure out, okay, what high leverage opportunities or changes do you think we can make right now to yes. create better, more inclusive experiences for everybody? I'm curious to get your thoughts. What does that process look like when you start doing that outreach to employees and 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 getting mm-hmm. uh, your 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 employee groups in, involved to to help kind of create this blueprint? How does that work?
1: Uh, yes. So first, you need to have uh, these employee champions, you know, um, and who are passionate about um, the diversity topics to become your chairperson for the employee resource group. I think that's the first step where you need to have those people because they have cloud. They have they are the influencers, uh, if I may say that, uh, for the organization. So for me, I think identifying the right people is very important. We need to have a support from HR, uh, the diversity. Um, person, if you have a separate one or or from HR, who can actually guide, uh, you know, these ERG networks into what is it that we are planning to do, Um, a budget is necessary, Uh, the the things that, uh, you know, some guidelines, what other companies are doing. So we do need that support group for the ERGs, uh, the chairpersons and the committees, etc. So that we're not going all over the place, because, you know, sometimes when we have a topic, uh, we can just uh, get uh, uh, we can get into just doing awareness sessions, saying that okay, if you have a panel discussion, this is good enough, etc. So for me, it's a it's a combined effort with the chairpersons, the volunteers that are there, HR and the diversity teams that are there, and together work on the nitty-gritties, you know, because it does require a lot of support in the beginning, and we need to really sort that out that we are not getting embroiled in the admin part of it. What is more important is what we are trying to do, and once that is there, then of course you know you can get the buy-in from the from the uh, diversity and inclusion steer co, or whatever you call it in the organization.
0: So actually, I have a follow-up question on ERGs. I was doing I've been doing a lot of research on ERGs lately, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of um, articles out there that talk about some of the challenges or uh, some of in some organizations they're. Um, Having a hard time extracting like value and actually implementing change from ERGs, and and I'm just curious, like, what's the difference between the companies that are effectively executing ERGs and the ones that maybe are trying but aren't getting the results they want to see from it? Like, how do you how do you set that up in a way that is actually going to drive change, organizational change?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, For me, the difference is, um, as I said, it's the support from the organization for the ERGs. You know, you do need to have some framework. You need to have the budget. You need to make sure that you have somebody, you know, in the teams to help them to implement those. Because what might happen is you may have a lot of ideas, but if you don't have, and these are employee volunteers, you know, who are doing this in addition to their jobs. Uh, So for that, you really need to provide support for them. So if you provide the support, I think it will happen. And you have to, I think, also make sure uh, that there are deliverables at the end of the year or whatever milestone that you have quarterly or half yearly or yearly basis and make sure that what you said at the beginning of the year it is followed properly and it is done i think that is important so quarterly meetings on of the diversity tier core doing a check-in you know checking with the ergs what is happening do they need any support uh, it's quite important and in our organizations it's the hr team you know that provide that support to the ergs and i think it also keeps things within that you know um, i would say that it doesn't go haywire you know we we try to keep things on the track with that and also i think what is also most important thing is that once you keep a track you can also publicize which can create you know more buzz for um, this particular topic which is quite important and then more employees can get interested and then participate in it so it's a it's a consolidated effort uh, which is through different teams and including communication team, you know, in, in organizations because communication is very important. If people don't know what is yeah. happening, they will, they will not know what to do and how to join it. Yeah.
0: Sure. Yeah. So it sounds like within the ERG strong, strong leadership needs to be there to keep things essentially kind of organized and to kind of collect everybody's thoughts yes. to really then create actionable, tangible changes that can be implemented and then going back to your first point of executive leadership buy-in to actually provide the budget and the resources to actually help mm-hmm. implement the changes, right? And then it just comes yes. down to a motion of deliverables, check-ins, and and just consistently iterating over a period of quarters and years. Yes. Um, okay. Yes. Very cool. It, yes. it is.
1: It's an integrated kind of uh, ecosystem, you know. Yeah. Uh, it is not activities which are in isolation. It has to all uh, come together and then, and, and then it will be more effective. Yes.
0: Sure. Sure. And then, so basically the next step then is like the, the deliverables and that kind of goes into the, the blueprint, if you will, um, mm-hmm. the feedback loop and then baking it into, into, into policy. Um, I, I'm assuming that's just as that's, that's really where HR comes in and, and, and it, that goes into employee uh, handbooks, goes into on, onboarding processes, really just any area, mm-hmm within uh, the company that is going to be impacted
1: many uh, many things actually uh, for uh, for me it is for example when you have your promotion policy so do you do you put some to- sort of a you know a gender kind of um, not quotas but basically percentages for example just uh, as an example uh, that uh, you have say 60 40 in terms of male female ratio do you have the number of promoters which are of you know similar ratio? when you are hiring people are you making sure that your mix is uh, there's a balance of gender there's a mix of culture there is a mix of uh, you know other other um, uh, diversity um, uh, angles that you have um, mm. uh, you can you can build it into your system it has to be done systematically yeah so for example when you have programs do you see that you have a mix of you know different diversities succession planning do you do you check on that yeah. Do you have, for example, when you have your medical benefits, do they take into account, you know, people of same sex, for example? You know, uh, do we do things which are there for differently able? Is your office accessible for differently able people? You know, it's as simple as that. Are your toilets, for example, are accessible by people who have different diversities? So there are many different things. There are actually a thousand different things. The language. Are you using the language which is gender neutral? You see. So. These are little little things, but it has to be done, and it does take time in the beginning. But once it is done, you know, then the awareness increases, and then it's like a, it's like a, it's like a nice uh, virtuous cycle, you know. Um, uh, but for me, yes, again, it's a consolidated effort. HR does come into play. It's a, it's a very important role because if you don't embed it into policies, it's not tangible, you know.
0: Sure. Yeah. And then it's like, how do you bake that into leadership training as well, right? Because if it's just like these policies that are kind of off in the corner somewhere, but it's not part of like the core day-to-day operations of the business, then it's not necessarily going to be followed either. And I think that's kind of a good segue into um, Mm -hmm. another topic that I know you're really passionate about and and actually so am I And getting into uh, learning and development and leadership development. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think I, I would love to get your thoughts on when it when it comes to 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 learning and development, maybe we could just start with like why do so many companies get this wrong and, and what are kind of the the holes that they're falling into and, and how do you set this up from a, a systematic perspective as well to to, to make sure mm-hmm. you have the right process in place to where learning and development is an ongoing uh, part of the organization and it's actually done in a way that's truly helpful and beneficial to to leaders and employees.
1: Uh, Yeah, it's a, it's a very important um, topic. And and what you said is also very true that sometimes, you know, even though there are resources, uh, companies can get it wrong. Uh, For me, the the, one of the biggest uh, pitfall is of of learning and development, if it's not done properly, uh, and why it is not done properly is that it is not linked to the business, you know so the alignment is very important so whatever we do in learning and development it's not in silo it's not a program which is just here it has to be addressing a need of the business and and uh, in asia pacific it is different from you know what the need is in 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 europe or in uk and us so some we do have to customize things which is according to the need so i think that that for me is very important and frankly it's not rocket science everybody knows that it should be addressing a business need. So that is one. The second is it should be consistent and continuous learning. Um, If you're doing a program, then next year you forget about it because the training budget is cut. And then, you know, then somebody else joins the team and then they try something else. If you do something which is not consistent um, and, and we do not have, for example, a continuous learning and development kind of pathway, then frankly, it loses its impact. Um, what I believe in and, and what I have also seen in our organization is that we, we built it over time. And in the beginning, of course, you know, it was not something which uh, uh, which was very popular, but it gained ground over a period of time because people did see consistency. People did see that, uh, that, OK, I mean, we are changing the content based on, you know, the economic environment and the business that is there. But we do have the basic principles which have been there for a longer time. And then slowly, slowly, people word of mouth, people talk about it, and then it becomes um, better. So for me, one of my advice to myself and to everybody else in HR profession is that perseverance is very important. So if you do not see the results in the first two years, uh, don't, don't get frustrated and think that, oh, it's nothing is happening. People are not joining this. Uh, it will happen when people see it on a consistent basis. I think it will happen, you know. And, and the value is seen only after two, three years uh, in, in, in leadership programs. So you have to be a little bit patient in this and then continue the good work. Um, uh, I think this is, this is the most important thing. And also, of course, there are a lot of companies which cut the training budget when the going is not good. And I, I don't think that's a, uh, a, that's not a, that's not a good strategy at all. You can twist it a little bit. But I think investment in people definitely pays off, especially during bad times, you know. So if you have people who are well-trained, they will be more resilient when things are going bad. So um, some of the things that I believe in, and I think it works, uh, uh, at at least in my experience, it works.
0: That's a really good point. So that's, that's got me thinking a lot, actually, because I, you know, right now at my own company, we're thinking about expanding uh, the coaching program to uh, give mm-hmm. it more access to more of our employees. And we, um, I, I really want to, it's, it's a right now we're trying to figure out like the cost and the budgeting of that. Um, mm-hmm. but I think particularly for, for new leaders stepping up at, into management roles, that coaching aspect is, is crucial. And I think you're right. I think. Uh, intuitively, the way that most people think about it is that okay, if the company is in a really good place, uh, the economy is going really well. Yeah, sure, mm-hmm. like we can we're gonna invest in and in, and more coaching and more learning and developing resources. But then it's like you know, okay, if there's a correction, then maybe that's it's yes. always one of the first things to go. But maybe that's when people actually need the support the most. And so exactly. if maybe exactly. maybe we're thinking people are thinking about that the wrong way. And maybe learning and development and coaching they, they shouldn't be seen as these expendable parts of the business that they should be a core function because they're going to help people thrive right which is is yes. good for the individual it's good for the company it's good for the customers um, so i think that's a really interesting perspective that you just shared
1: and it's an investment and and it should be continuous you know so right and yeah. it's it's various ways uh, uh, if organizations are learning organizations you don't have to spend a lot and lot of this, because when you are training some people, they can in turn, you know, train other people. It's a cascading effect.
0: Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And I actually do. I have another kind of follow up question on leadership uh, training and mm-hmm. coaching. Uh, curious to get your thoughts on how do you do? You have any advice on how to put together programs for first time leaders, first time managers?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh Yes, we have done that in our organization also. So we have for every level of manager, you know, first time, the mid managers, the senior managers, etc. Um, what we experimented during COVID time, and, and maybe it could be a good thing, is to have uh, really design thinking, you know, really use of design thinking in creating the program. So you have people uh, who are first-time managers, people who are managers, managers, people who are the subordinates, you know, of this, all involved in design thinking. And it can be done, you know, online. Uh, uh, it can be done uh, remotely Uh, With a a good facilitator and tools like Mural, et cetera, you can use that. And really, when you use design thinking, you are getting uh, the views of, um, you know, um, of different parties, different perspective. The content that you create out of that is really, it's like, you know, like to the point, (laughs) Yeah. What you really want, because you are getting these different perspectives. And when people are involved in, in the designing of the program, you will see that the buy-in is, is very quick from the beginning. you know. Uh, so we did that for our, um, uh, our actually senior level programs. And I can tell you that it worked very well. For first level, for me, it's exactly the same process that you do. Uh, and of course, you also interview some people who are your successful first time managers, you know. And then see what kind of qualities that they have, what are the things that they faced when they became first-time manager. So it's a consolidated thing which you put together and then do it. We use external facilitators. We also have an internal trainer, but we for some programs, we use external facilitators just because you can get different perspective. In the mm-hmm. beginning, of course, uh, you know, it's a lot of effort. It may take um, a few months, actually, uh, to, to define it to make the final program, but I can tell you the result is
0: worth it. Yeah. Oh, Oh, hundred hundred percent. I agree with you. It's, it's, it's gotta be a priority. And I, you know, I think I, w- I wanted to also talk to you about um, something that I think is, is uh, uh-huh. a hot topic right now, getting into the future of work. Uh, and, yes. and and to me, this is about, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on what that means to you. To me, what it means is how do we create uh, compelling uh, employment opportunities Uh, For top talent, uh, so that we can attract and retain uh, the best fit individuals uh, for our organizations, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Is that is that your perspective on future of work, or what? How do how do you view the the topic future of work?
1: So um, maybe just as a as a background, as you know, banking is a regulated industry here, so we Mm -hmm. we do have um, sales trading, and we have regulated staff in most of the countries. So when we look at future of work, uh, sometimes we have to be a little bit more um uh careful you know compared to some of the other industries which are not regu- regulated yeah uh, for me future of work means uh, more flexibility you know which uh, um as as you know the pandemic has actually accelerated uh, that uh, and which is which is quite good for us luckily you know our infrastructure is quite good uh, in sub-gen, so basically people could work from home like for example, my entire team in HR can work from home. you know we, we don't have to go to office uh, and we can really uh, run the business like this. and so so do most of the other other departments. that I think is is an important step towards future of work which is flexibility. Uh, the other thing for me is uh, really can people do can people do different different roles you know at, at the same time? Now, that is something is my view. We don't do it in Soggen right now. But I think that in future, people will be able to do multiple jobs, you know, while being, um, you know, part-time here or part-time there. Or maybe two days in one organization, two days another, and then maybe two days or three days, what their passion is like, Uh, you know. So, for example, I can be an HR professional then I can maybe work in a restaurant because I like cakes, you know. <laughs> or, and then the third is I'm maybe doing coding and doing something else, you know. So I do think that this is something which is happening in, in some industries. And I do think that it might become something which is more popular later on. Um, I also think in terms of future of work that, uh, that people now, because they can work from anywhere, people have seen that they can work from anywhere. So really you know uh, we will have to change the way we think about contracts the way the deliverables are produced, the way taxes are, etc I do think that this is something which is going to be impacted in future uh, maybe not right now because right now we see a different kind of story where all these questions come up but I think it is definitely going to going to happen and I also feel that um, in future the future of work, is, is also coexisting, uh, as we know, you know, with AI and, and really using predictive, uh, for example, people analytics, you know, much mm-hmm. more, much more uh, than what we are doing right now, and really taking some concrete decisions, which are there. Uh, I feel that it's coexistence of human and technology. And I do not think that the technology can take over completely, you know, I still feel that it is going to be coexistence, and it's going to be a mutually uh, beneficial coexistence, and not uh, in some movies that we see where, you know, the robots are destroying the world. Right. At least I don't right. think so.
0: Yeah, I hear you, and I, I think um, yeah, yeah. There's just so there's so many shifts that are occurring right now uh, in the workplace, and I, I think you know. So what we're seeing right now is 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 just huge emphasis on flexibility, huge emphasis on integration of personal and professional life people are are adding a lot more significance to the question uh how is this how is this position uh, going to help me get the most out of life or or mm-hmm. what types of experiences uh will this opportunity create for me um and and do it, will i have the flexibility to do the other things that are outside of work yeah. I mean, we're mm-hmm. we're seeing that a lot more and, and not to say that they're directly asking this question like in the interview but what i mean is they're in their decision-making process when they're, when you kind of hear how they're thinking through whether or not Mm -hmm. to move forward with an opportunity, it's a lot more focused around like, look, if the comp is like somewhat similar, like, of course, yes. yes, Like people want to make a lot of money. They want to have good benefits. Of course. Right. But Mm -hmm. they're, they're focusing a lot more on is this position going to really integrate well with my personal life and my other goals uh, outside of, of the organization.
1: Yes, very much, very much. I mean, even I think sometimes, you know, <laughs> and I'm not in the new generation. I'm Generation X, but I, I have also started thinking about it, you know. So, yeah, it's happening.
0: Yeah. It's it's happening. I think too. It's like the I don't know. Maybe this isn't obvious. Maybe this really isn't uh, too much of an insight. But I think that the <laughs> the companies that are going to thrive are going to be the ones that just buy in completely to the concepts of flexibility. To the concepts mm-hmm. that maybe more people want to be contractors, they might want multiple roles, uh, yeah. they want more flexibility, they want to work from home. You know, they're you know, these these types of these types of topics. Um, you know, there's there's no reason to fight it, and I think some companies are falling into the trap of just kind of saying like, oh, well, right now is a candidate driven market, and you know, COVID's not going to be forever, and it's a candidate driven market right now. Those never last. It's going to flip back. We don't really need to. Embody and embrace kind of this macro shift Mm -hmm. that's happening in the marketplace, uh, you know, with people's preferences and needs. Um, And I think that those companies that, you know, a lot of them have been saying it for the past like year and they're just falling behind you know the best the best you know the top talent is, is always going to have the most options right they're they're always going to yeah. have in, in, in any market condition and that's the thing it's like oh, yeah look, even cool. when it shifts back it's like you know the the, the top talent is are going to help you uh continue to grow and evolve as an organization they're mm-hmm. they're always going to have the most options so i just i think it's i think some a lot of organizations are are, are somewhat short-sighted when it comes to kind of embracing change like they're trying to fight it and say, like, no, this is the way it needs to be. But it's really like, mm-hmm. look, we are here, like we have like I feel like a company essentially has two jobs, right? You you mm-hmm. you have to create incredible experiences and outcomes for your employees and incredible experiences yeah. and outcomes for your clients. And you can't yes, neglect definitely. you can't neglect either of those things. And I think when when companies like they're like they, when they're building employment packages and when they're thinking about process they need to be looking at it from perspective of like, what is going to create an incredible experience and opportunity mm-hmm. for our employees. And at the end of the day, it's about what the employees want. It's not really what about what executive leadership wants. It's about how do we, how do we empower our people to get the most out of this opportunity and be happy and, and want to want to work here and want to stay here.
1: Yes, exactly. And, and, and you're right. Huh? It is the employees world today. Yeah. And we cannot ignore what they want. Yeah. Yeah. And, and frankly, people are also becoming much more vocal because they are not scared of losing the job, uh, maybe in some cases, but majority of the cases, I think people are not scared of that. And what you said about the great reshuffle or the great, you know, rethinking of, of priorities, et cetera, has become, uh, has taken precedence. And, and, and frankly, uh, I think I, I like it that our employees are vocal, you know, and they're talking about what they want. Because it also makes us think that, okay, we have been doing this for a long time. It's time to change, you know, and and look at things from this side and that angle or some other angle, which is there. I think it's also very exciting times. We are at uh, where things what we like, for example, I, I completed my MBA in 1997, you know, so what I studied at that time in HR has completely changed. There's still some basics, of course, which will not go away. But majority of the things have completely changed, you know. And it's very exciting, frankly, to to actually rewrite history. Not rewrite, actually, uh, no, create new history. You know, sure, <laughs> that kind yeah,
0: I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. And and uh, you know, as a, a, a one of our final topics, um, I I really do mm-hmm. want to dive into to people analytics with you. Um, mm-hmm. Technology, uh, you know, I think, and pretty much every topic we've talked about today, you 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 have started to touch on the idea of, of analytics data. And obviously, that should be a driving force within every organization to to do things. Um, well, I think doing things the right way or or doing it with with data and really understanding understanding the data. Yes. So, when people analytics, like, what are the the top from from an analytics data perspective as a, a chro? What are the top like kind of metrics or analytics or or what what data sets that you're you're tracking and and how do you kind of leverage uh, data to to, to drive decision making mm-hmm. within your organization?
1: We actually started um, you know actually having a dedicated resource for people and analytics few years ago, uh, and our first step was uh, yeah really the static data that we have. How do we have that data for recruitment? You know for attrition for diversity. So gender and nationality, as I said, this is what we track. Um, uh, we, are, we are tracking on, uh, you know, when we are hiring people, what is the cycle time uh, from, mm-hmm. you know, open position to this, how many people that we convert from trainees into permanent, uh, you know, uh, whether we are sourcing through direct channels, through um, internal referrals, through headhunters, etc. So, uh, we do actually now capture a lot of these things, you know, on our training and development, uh, the kind of programs that people are attending, the usage of our um, of our learning platforms, how many of them are mandatory, non-mandatory. Then, you know, on talent, whether we have diversity in talent, do we have enough successors, et cetera, those kind of things. So we do have a lot of data, which we are now analyzing. And I think we now we are more comfortable with the data that we already have, and, and we we can have this static data. Uh, what we need we are going forward to is is on predictive analytics, and this is what we want to do. We have not we have not done it yet, but this is something which we really uh, want to work on, where the predictive analytics can help us to take decisions in a informed manner. So I'm not saying that they will be 100 you know uh, right and and they will. We will take decision based only on that. But it will really help us in taking informed decisions. And, and this is where we need to go uh, further. Uh, but right now, I I I know that a lot of organizations struggle with the data quality, you know. And sure, that sometimes, yes. I mean, yeah, that's that's a very important point. Uh, and and I can tell you even now, a lot of organizations do not have that. So it has to be set right, and then you get into predictive, you know.
0: Right, I think you need a dedicated person or a dedicated team to oversee data integrity. To actually, yeah. because if you leave it up to uh, function leaders and managers that are already busy mm-hmm. creating opportunities, solving problems, it's it's just ultimately like it's it's things are going to be recorded uh, in inaccurate ways or not recorded at all, and and it's <laughs> so you really I think I think to it's like anything else, right? It's like you need the Executive buy-in, uh, you need, and then you mm-hmm. need the budget to actually invest, right? And I, I was curious to dive a little bit into mm-hmm. DE&I mm-hmm. metrics. Um, what technology are you using to track? And and could you talk about like some really kind of clear tactical steps of like, okay, let's say you want to set this up for DE&I. Yes. what tech mm-hmm. are you using? What metrics are, do you start with? What kind of parameters, or how do you go about you know putting yeah. in place parameters of like this is our goal? Like how do you do that goal setting motion?
1: hmm So um, the data that we get is, uh, you know, from our HRIS system. So we do have a HRIS system from APAC, I think, which frankly is the is the 101 bedrock every organization need to have that. And if you're a small organization, of course, uh, people still use Excel sheets, which for me is not the best way. Uh, however, I think the, uh, first you need to have the data on, uh, for example, on gender and nationality. So I'm taking the example of that. So on gender, uh, of course, we are looking at, uh, you know, uh, in different departments, uh, in different corporate levels. So we have five levels from analyst, associate, VP, director, managing director. And we track at each level, you know, gender and uh, international profiles that we have. We look at over the years whether we have made progress, you know. Uh, uh, and then uh, uh, we do have targets, frankly, because uh, at senior, when we go to the senior management, it drops uh, Drastically, like in all investment banking. So for us, um, we we do that um, uh, department-wise, country-wise, um, uh, corporate level-wise, um, and then we try to see where the issues are. Okay, uh, where do we have less women or less males? Because you know, in some countries, you have more females than males. So so it, so we are looking at gender balance. You know where it is. So this simple matrix where you have the simple data, it can really uh, say a number of things. You really have to identify where the issue is. If there is an imbalance, why is it there? You know, so you have to see because in different markets in Japan, Korea, China, um, Hong Kong, Singapore, the reasons can be very different. You know, for for these things. So then you have to see that is it a systemic problem where you do not have the talent pool, for example, in the market, or is it a problem which is our company's issue? You know. So we have to then look at that. We have to see whether it's a managerial pro- problem, whether it is something which can be fixed or not fixed, etc. Are more women leaving? You know, so even in attrition data, we check whether it's uh, it's more women leaving or it's the males leaving. So uh, succession planning: Do we have enough, you know, balance? For example, when we are promoting people, are we making sure that the the balance is there or not? So again, for me. We, we measure it at each and every stage, you know, from attraction, when we are actually going to campuses, when we are getting the CVs, when we are hiring people, when we are promoting people, when we are putting them in succession plan, every single step you have to measure and see where the issue is. Uh, the other major thing which is there is the, is the, is the gender pay gap. Uh, and, and this is something which is quite important, which organizations have to really look at and we do it at the time of our compensation review where we look at the gender pay gap we need to see whether we need to do something about it whether it is justifiable whether it's not justifiable you know equal pay for um, for equal jobs etc it's quite important and for me this is a process which is continuous you cannot do it one time and stop it you have to monitor it on a regular basis and and uh, it it is it throws up very interesting facts, you know, when you look at the data, even the static data, even without predictive analytics, you can actually have a whole narrative and a whole story, you know, which you can really work on, find the issues, and really work on. So yeah, it's a it's a continuous journey. Yeah,
0: yeah it, it's uh, this was a really super valuable. So thank you for sharing uh, some more detail there. Um, thank you so much. And I, I also wanted to talk to you about town acquisition metrics. Mm-hmm. Um just down the pipe hiring you know funnel metrics for talent acquisition mm-hmm. what are the top metrics that you're tracking with your within your organization? what goals do you have in place tied to talent acquisition outcomes? Mm.
1: um for us um what we want is our talent acquisition is also to uh you know serve um, the agenda of uh, not only of course getting the best you know uh, but also, Uh, the diversity part uh, also. So what we look at from the beginning is uh, when we are, um, you know, sourcing, uh, whether we are, uh, whether we have, when we are giving the CV shortlisting, is it, there's a balance in terms of diversity, international profiles. In the interview panel, do we have, again, you know, a balance uh, in terms of gender as well as international profiles so that, so that we can have different perspectives. So we, we measure it, we document it. So in our Employment approval, you know, uh, uh, mailer. We do have all these things documented that, for example, how many CVs were, uh, did we have a balance on gender, international profiles in the interview panel? Did we have the balance, et cetera? So we monitor it because I think it's quite important uh, for us. Uh, and where,
0: where do you, and sorry, I, th- I think you mentioned this, but just yeah. um, where, where do you say you, you tracked that? Is that within your applicant tracking system or where, how do you track that data?
1: Whether, whether this is a, this is our internal, uh, when we, when we take approval for our hiring.
0: Okay. So is this part of the yeah. HRIS system basically?
1: Oh, uh, uh or... we, we do it in our, in our mailers right now. Yeah. Okay. We do not have, uh, in our, in our tracking system, applicant tra- tracking system, we do not have right now, but we will look at it in future, but at least for the time being, we still want to monitor that. And at the end mm-hmm. of it, you know, we want to look at whether we are really following the policies that we have put in place. So for me, that is quite important. Then, of course, we track the sourcing, you know, which is mm-hmm. from is it direct sourcing? Is it internal reference? Is it uh, headhunters, uh, et cetera? Uh, uh, the cycle time uh, from the time we post the job to uh, we close the we give the off. We give the verbal offer because I think the other things are there and we are looking at you know reducing it, for example. Um, we look at how much conversions that we have done, you know, from other like contractors and trainees uh, and mm. what we call VIEs, uh, the European, uh, you know, trainees that we have. Do we do we actually convert them to permanent positions? Uh, so uh, we look at that. Uh, then we look at uh, the offer it offers how many the acceptance rate, the decline rate that is there. Um, yeah, and and then the diversity finally, uh, you know, on that um yeah i think this is what uh, we we track right now um we also look at rehires you know how many people are rehires because for us it's a, it's a question of um, you know we are attractive enough for our ex employees to come back so yeah
0: yeah i like that metric for our for offer acceptance rate are you does your team primarily look at it just holistically or do you look at it on like a a national level or do you look at it on a function department level? Like how do you,
1: how do you go about
0: all of the above? Like you segmented a bunch of different ways.
1: So APAC, uh, we will have, of course, anyway we will have differentiation if you want to see for a particular department for a particular country, we Mm -hmm. can, we can look at it. And for me, it's quite important because if you have that detail, then you can figure out if we have an issue in a particular area or not. Yeah.
0: What what offer acceptance rate do you target?
1: Do you I mean we would love 100%, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's my
0: target too. <laughs> we
1: would love 100%, but uh, you know some countries like uh, Hong Kong last year was really hot for IT talent. Mm-hmm. So it was not easy to we had we had some declines uh, which were there so which was actually after a long time, so it was not a very nice feeling. <laughs> but it happens uh, in the candidate market here.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, well, that that is super helpful. We covered a, a ton of ground, and I know we're coming up on on time here. Um, I, I would love to just share with everybody, or if you had a moment to share, you know, how how can people find you if they if they want to follow you online or uh, you know follow possibly some of the content that you're producing or connect with you? Is is there a way that they can engage with you?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, uh, Mukta Arya, uh, with my own name, Societe General. So yeah, you can connect with me on LinkedIn and or follow me, uh, whatever you want to do. Yeah.
0: Great. Thank you. And Mukta, thank you so much for joining us today. This was uh, a, a phenomenal conversation, just so much value uh, for, the, for the listeners. So thank you for joining us. And I, if you're open to it, I would love to, to do this again with you, hopefully in the next three to six months sometime soon.
1: Sure, I enjoyed it very much too. So it will be my pleasure. James.
0: Thank you. All right. Great. And for everybody tuning in, thanks so much. And we'll talk to you next time. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode and gained a lot of valuable insights to help guide your talent strategy. I also want to say thank you to my team at Secure Vision for making the show possible. Secure Vision is the number one embedded recruitment provider, and we are a three-time category leader on G2. Secure Vision partners with over 150 companies to provide on-demand recruiters who specialize in either tech, revenue, or G&A. For more information, you can visit SecureVision.io. For more content, you can follow me on LinkedIn at James Mackey or on Twitter at James Mackey DMV. We've dropped links in the description. If you want to be on our show or have any topics you'd like for us to cover, reach out at BreakthroughHiring.io. We really appreciate your support with reviews on Apple Podcasts. And lastly, make sure to tune in every Tuesday and Thursday for a new episode. See you next time.